What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Holy cannolis, guys. Okay, <laughs> it's me, Casey Coop, here with my stunning producer, Max Mazel, bringing y'all another episode of Casey's Freak Show, where we uncover the secrets to living free, or at least keeping your demons at bay. Today's guest is someone who trudges the road of sobriety with me. Um, we've talked each other through panic attacks and come out stronger. We were just surviving out here. It's my friend Zara Lispin, who's a novelist and writer for Hello Giggles. She's also got the raddest mermaid hair in the game right now. Although it kind of looks more like Ursula Black at this point. You changed it. Yes, I keep changing it over and over. Yeah, but you said November. this is the final run. Yeah, it's a lot of work. It's actually not as much work as people think think it is people are like how do you find the time it's not but it You're also like dumping dye on your head yeah you just put dye on your head and it's <laughs> very I mean especially if like I'm not trying to get it even and it's never never has been even we talked about that a little bit but I do sort of feel like I was saying I people think I'm a lot younger than I am and I want to start being taken a little more seriously. Yeah, because you're like around my age, not to like blow your, like some people no, are weird about age. But I'm, I'm not weird about it. I think I'm almost cool. like six months younger than you or. Yeah, like uh, but you year. look like a teen and I love people it. People think I'm 16 and oh <laughs> I don't think I look 16, but I get no. that feedback so much and I'm like, okay, maybe it has something to do with like the hot pink hair. <laughs> Or, but you also have like this awesome youthful like thing where you're just like you're like a tween like me like our styles are very tween right we're gonna be tweens for life forever I think that's just our vibe I'm not gonna try to get rid of that either no just, but your like, hair looks awesome thank you I I thought a darker shade and something to like bring out my complexion slash eye color would be a good Zara is very pretty <laughs> we're we're gonna give her Instagram <laughs> handle later y'all need to just stalk her. Fave all her photos like I did today. I was going through and stalking you today. Oh, yeah. Bring out the stalkers. Before this. So you've been sober for almost two years. Yes, that That's is That's so awesome. What was life like before you got sober? So it was really strange because I, in high school, I was like very afraid of alcohol and saw like people being anywhere from like embarrassing to getting seriously injured in some kind of way. And mm -hmm. I stayed so far away from it, except for this one night when I was 16, I like got blackout drunk. And I always in the beginning of sobriety, I thought like I, I never drank in high school. It's so weird. But the one time I did, mm -hmm. I like blacked out, ran yeah. naked in a park. Oh, my so God. Like <laughs> dude, I did the same 
I went to like my first party and I was like really an uncool kid. So I felt very like a part of when I went to this party. It was the end of my junior year. And um, I, yeah, I also got wasted to the point of throwing up. And I chased around this boy in the backyard wearing like I think only my underwear. And I was chasing him because I wanted to fucking lose my virginity. Like yeah, I literally <laughs> ran around the backyard and this guy was running away from me. Yeah, that's that's so funny. I hear that sort of thing a lot with like other friends who are sober like that. That phenomenon of just being so young, you don't care. You're so drunk. And I thought I was going to die. Like I remember having so much fun <laughs> and then waking up and being like, I'm dying. I'm never going to do this again. Mm -hmm. And so I actually didn't. And then. Um, yeah, you weren't like a big partier. You know what? I have heard that from sober people. Like, you know, some people start when they're 12, but some people are like, maybe because we sense like the danger in it. Yeah. Like for me, alcoholism runs in my family. And so I was like, I kept telling my friends, I'm not going to drink until I'm 21. Right. Um, I drank a little throughout my senior year of high school. And then, of course, college hit and it was game on. Well, right. on the weekends at that point. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's like once. Same for me, except it was halfway through college. Um, I tell this story a lot. I don't know if it's interesting to other people. But it is. Tell me the story. Tell me the story. It is to me because it was, the, it was the moment of game on. And I mm -hmm. was 20 and studying abroad in London and Ooh. I found out that back in L.A., my dog died of 11. We had him for 11 years. He was really important to me. And I was interning at an art gallery when I found out. And I was crying. And when my boss came back in, she said, oh, my goodness, what happened? And I told her. And she said, take the rest of the day off. Go down to the pub. Have a drink. Um, and I was like, OK. And I like got my stuff. And I walked down to the nearest pub, which in London is just always at the end of the street, no, yeah. matter, no matter what part of London you're it in. It totally is. And I was like, this is embarrassing. I'm going to go in there and like no one's going to be in there. And the bartender's going to think I'm an alcoholic for ordering. <laughs> it was like 11 in the morning. He's going to think I'm a drunk. But I walked in and it's 11 and it's filled with people. Wow. Like having just a mid-morning, like early afternoon wow. drink. And... um. I told him I didn't even know what I wanted, <laughs> but I knew I wanted whiskey of some kind. And he, I mean, I, anyway, long story short, that drink was the moment I was like, if I could just stay a little bit drunk for the rest of my life, I'll be good <laughs> to go. You, wow. It really like, it really struck faster. I think, I think with alcoholism in different people, sometimes it it bu gradually builds in you to the point of like, I really need this. Like sometimes for some people it takes decades of drinking. Yeah. But for some of us, it's like, it hits so hard. And for me, like I fell in love with alcohol. Like I remember toward the end of my drinking years, I wanted a tattoo of some kind of alcohol. Cause like <laughs> I valued it like a lover, like my best friend. I didn't have a boyfriend those years. I was fucking lonely, but booze kept me company. But then I think to myself, like, wait, that's kind of like sad that I want a tattoo of alcohol. Like I thought, like I knew even then that this is kind of shouldn't be happening. Yeah. It was, it felt like true love. I can relate to that mm -hmm. completely. Like love for something that you think at the time saved your life. Like there was so much I couldn't do. I couldn't go into a party. I couldn't get on an airplane without having a nervous breakdown. And suddenly there's this gift of oh. alcohol that 
saved everything in my mind at the time before, as you know, it gets so, bad. It's fun and then it gets bad. Exactly. You you did start drinking a little later than some of the average. But before that, as a teen, did you struggle with, you know, self-image issues? I know a lot of us have. Like, did you struggle before ever touching booze? Yes, definitely. And um, in retrospect, it's it. I think it was just my terrible fear and anxiety that kept me away from what my friends were doing, which everyone was smoking pot. I know we talk about this sometimes, like growing up in L.A., mm-hmm. the, the pace is a little different. When I was 12, yes. when I was 12, my friends were smoking pot. And by the time um, we were 14, everyone was doing coke. And wow. I and I did, too. That always too, blows actually. my mind yeah. when you tell me this. But you're not the only person who's told me this. Right. I hear I, it a lot here. And actually, um, I was just listening to the uh, podcast that you did with Charlie and she mm-hmm. was talking about meth and she said like that she was glad there wasn't meth when mm-hmm. she was but actually when I was 14 in LA that we had a meth epidemic Whoa, at my high school Jesus, and it just it was really prevalent I never did it but I did do coke um, when I was 14 three times and my mom found out and I think scared me out of my mind so that I didn't do coke again okay. until. Um, but anyway, back to your first question was so when I was 12, I started struggling a lot. That's pretty early, but I started struggling with body image issues. Um, yeah. And you know what? I've heard like it's younger and younger. I've heard of kids under the age of 10. Like it's freaking sad the way like we watch media and it like absorbs into our brains. I remember I used to babysit this little girl and. I think she was already having those issues, you know, before 10 years old. I think so, too, because there's no real way around it if you're exposed to, you know, the Disney princesses and all of that stuff. And you do start to think whether you realize it or not, you're comparing yourself to what's out there. And I don't want to blame the Disney princesses. That's not like I think it's. One of my biggest pet peeves is this, like, reimagining of Disney Oh, my princesses. God. It's so annoying. <laughs> like, leave them alone. They're Disney. They're cartoons. Like, no one yeah. needs to see them <laughs> if they were feminist icons. Or, I know. Or it's so annoying. Whatever. I know. Um, if they were all tatted. Yeah. Like. If they were pinup girls. If they were, yeah. If they rode motorcycles. <laughs> like, calm down. I saw a spoof of it or, like, making fun of it where it was, like, reimagined as sandwiches. And they were totally joking, but it was, like. But very that's funny. Like the best. I know. <laughs> Just taking it to the nth degree yeah. because it's like it's it's but it's a bit much. I think we got like two. Like I guess I personally never cared about the Disney princesses. Me like, either. Really? Yeah. So I, I felt like so. Really, I didn't. I haven't met other girls who say that. I well, I just liked Milan because. Because she's a fighter. and Exactly. And I'm also Japanese. I was like, she was like the closest that I could get to. Right. You know. Yeah, totally. When I was a little kid, when I was three and four, apparently, I vaguely remember, but being really passionate about Belle from Beauty and the Beast. And then after that, I mean, that was where, I mean, it was a big, apparently, I just had the dress and the clothes and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But after that, that's when, I mean, pretty soon I got really obsessed with Mary-Kate and Ashley. And that, oh, my gosh. And that was it forever. Just so they everyone knows, <laughs> we took the promo photo for this as MKA with our backs to each other and, like, crossed arms, just, like, old school. So, tangent, but, yeah, so, I know to- you were, you dealt with it, body image issues, right? Like, you were overweight Yeah, or well, so, yeah, so I was... It was really weird because when I was 12, I just I my body started developing way before my friends. So at first I didn't really understand what was happening. I was just changing. 
Um, but then when I was 13, 14, I had a condition that was um, trans transmuting anything I ate, so like even carrots, vegetables, healthy things, into sugars. And my Whoa. cells didn't know how to process them. So I was all of a sudden gaining a lot of weight, even though I already had like serious dieting, body image issues, like eat a grapefruit for breakfast, eat, wow. you know, lettuce for lunch. And I've, wow. I'd been, I'd been trying to stay underweight actually for two years and doing like an okay job, not mentally healthy at all. Yeah, but it's so young, dude. It's so young. And I, I, it wasn't even, I mean, it was, it was really hard for me, but it was really normal. Like a lot of my friends were also dieting and we would talk about trying to get stay thin and we were very young it's really it's really sad um that that's why I, I mentioned like really fast I didn't want to blame the um Disney princesses because I actually like don't even know in retrospect who I was trying to be I didn't look at fashion magazines I had my own kind of standards of beauty and yet I felt fat like this this um mm -hmm. I put in quotes because it's like I I wasn't, but I felt huge. And then I did at 14 gain a lot of weight and it was a mystery. We didn't know yet why mm -hmm. I wasn't eating anywhere near. And I, I was eating the way someone who should be losing weight was eating. But yeah, so that that made it so that I didn't trust food. I didn't feel safe in my body. Wow. I ended up um, I tried really hard to lose the weight and I couldn't until I was well I guess 17 so three years like it took three years of like being... and of course those are like the awkward years for anyone yeah and then it was compiled with like you were already having eating disorder stuff yeah and your body was you know just gaining weight yeah and and it's just it's hard enough I feel like it's really hard to be a woman I guess maybe especially in Los Angeles but also I can't think of any woman I've met anywhere that doesn't around their teenage years develop some kind of really bad ideas about mm -hmm. their own body and what it should be or shouldn't be. I always think back to that scene in Mean Girls when the three girls are looking in the mirror. I think about that all the time because that that scene where the three girls are looking in the mirror, one girl, what are they like, my nose, or, oh my God, I have man shoulders, or I'm fat, or whatever they're saying. It's like that scene has been played out in my life with girlfriends like hundreds of times. And even at the strip club sometimes in the locker room, like I've never been around such empowered, self-loving women. I mean, we run around in our underwear, so you kind of lose a lot of your body image issues because you just get real comfortable in the way your body moves and the way it just is. But even sometimes, like, it only takes one girl saying a thing about her body for another girl to be like, yeah, I kind of want boobs too. Or I kind of look at my weird nipples or like it's it's mostly in fun there. It's not so extreme like as it has been in my adolescence. But it only takes one girl saying something for everyone to go down the topple scale of me like me too. And like I was having a conversation with a coworker the other day in the locker room and we were like. We always, like, compare our boobs because we're both, like, double A boobs. We're, like, Asian and we have, like, little boobies. And we, like, laugh at them and we jump around with them. It's fun. 
But then she said, like, well, like, we were on the topic of getting boobs. And she's like, well, if someone bought them for you, wouldn't you? And I was like, no. And I really meant it. And it's, like, this really crazy thing. And I think part of it is, like, repeating mantras about my body during meditation. Like, a.k.a. just brainwashing myself into loving myself. But I truly... Even if somebody bought me like boobs from the best surgeon in LA, even if just it was a size B cup, like I wouldn't get them because like I don't want that. I don't I like myself, but we're just trained to like hate ourselves and everyone has to jump on the wagon or else you're like you're just being, you know, what is it? Big headed or right, something? Right. If you're with a group of girls who are hating on their bodies and you yes. don't have something to contribute and then everyone's sort of like, well, what's with this girl? Or if you say something positive about your body yeah. and it's like, okay, Casey. But it's like, no, 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 let's change ourselves. Let's change, let's change it. And like not then judge each other for, because people get really insecure. Like if, if I think when you're with a group of friends, the way it, the way it starts off when you're a teenager and you don't have adult conversational skills or even any kind of interpersonal friendship skills, like if I were to say, if I were with, because I have huge boobs, especially for my body, they're uh, like, <laughs> especially for my body. I'm tiny. I'm 5'2", and like, <laughs> I just like that you said it. Yes. I think I actually like have back problems because of them. But so um, let's say I was feeling, I've always been insecure about them growing up, but let's say I was a teenager and I loved them and I said something about how great they are. Oh, and then I was around yeah. a girl who felt really insecure about, and then she yeah. might become a bitch to me like, yes basically. like you're not allowed to because because the hateful self-talk is allowed but loving self-talk isn't isn't allowed we've just got to change it just by doing it now and like what and you doing just, it loudly what you just said like you have small boobs you love them now i i am like i, I guess it sounds stupid because i have huge boobs and a tiny body and some people might say like oh that's like one of the Mm -hmm. um beauty ideals or whatever mm -hmm. it certainly doesn't fucking feel like that at mm -hmm. all and it's taken me until I'm 28 to feel like my boobs are not too big which is right. again insane like when I was 14 all the models were flat chested and it was like yeah they went out of their way to say like you don't have to big boobs are out you don't have to have big boobs anymore like now it's all about butts and I was like I don't have a butt so it's like shut up oh my god all of these voices but it's that... so funny because like uh, I all you you know this being a girl like every woman no matter what she has wants the opposite exactly it's like if you have curly hair you want straight hair if you have straight hair you want curly hair if you have big boobs you want small boobs if you have small boobs you want big boobs but I think that's also like we were just saying we're not allowed to say we appreciate what we have and like you were just talking about it's like okay maybe big boobs were in vogue for a while and then big butts were but then guys like big boobs or, or what was associated was like girls with big boobs are immediately considered sluts right? oh yes that was a big issue like oh, so yes. girls would cover up their chests or the few girls who would wear push-up bras in high school were just like talk shit on you know but they, at least they got the guy and it was just like this like whole dichotomy oh my god the the mixed messages that you yeah. are sold yeah. not i mean for the rest of your life starting <sighs> in in middle school high school but the mixed messages are insane and People saying like even for I'm sure like you get as a stripper a lot like that's not feminist. The message of that you are living to please a man, for mm -hmm. example, and the irony of like how literally almost every woman is living that kind of life where they're trying to please somebody mm -hmm. and not in touch with that reality at all. And it's like, what do men like? You know, what do men don't like? Yeah. Who am I going to be according to <laughs> to men? Um, <laughs> yeah. But like if a stripper 
does it professionally as a dancer that's somehow not feminist even though as like thank god we're in this new movement of sex positive um Mm -hmm. you know acceptance and celebration and it hasn't always been like that as you know at all and it's still a struggle I was talking to this one guy at work who's actually like amazing like I love him and he's super nice and just like he appreciates what we do there like he knows what we do he doesn't see it as the skeezy thing he's like you guys are so awesome you're funny I think he has a girlfriend like but he's not creepy and mostly we just like shoot the shit and make each other laugh and he even commented last night how he's like because I gave him three dances in a row. He, and, and by the time we got the third, he's like, okay, let's keep going. Because we always spend the first dance, like, getting over the fact that we're still giggling. Like, like we can't take the sexuality of it seriously. Like, it's really fun. Yeah, it's, it's so much fun. fun. He's like, okay, now we're finally not making jokes throughout the dances. Like, <laughs> But, right. like, he was telling me he works for, like, a cable television network. And it's, um, it's like, a women-centered network or, or, or like... Sh- or channel or whatever. And he was trying to pitch a show um, where they'd come into the, like our club and they'd talk to us and we'd play this fun game. It was like a goofy segment with the strippers. And he's like, but immediately when they heard the word stripper, they turned it down. They're like, he's like, I wish I would have said dancer or something. And then he went on and on about that. And I was like, you didn't say the wrong thing. They are interpreting it the wrong way. He's like, I know, but you know, I shouldn't have said stripper because it's like full nude and you guys aren't. And I'm like, uh, 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 uh. It doesn't That's matter not, that we don't yeah. do full nude at this club because, you know, I was just telling him, like, you didn't say the wrong thing. Like, we need to change people's perceptions of what a stripper is. And he's like, yeah, no, you guys are human. And then we laughed about that because people and these women at this network don't see us as human. And it's a women, you know, centered network. Oh, my It's goodness. so ironic, right? And it going also, just going back to, sorry, I'm jumping around, but you said previously about, um, people talking about big boobs like I literally posted a video on Instagram yesterday that I was making a joke I wore like a like a little sports bra and like matching kind of boy underwears from American Apparel to work last night and I was joking on my Instagram story like my look tonight is lesbian gym teacher (laughs) and like some girls would they DM me like lol lol and this one stranger account like that was like a dude and anonymous like fell into my DM request that was like you have a flat chest and it was like the shocked emoji face like <gasps> and then I just blocked it but like yeah. literally I'm fucking 29 I finally come into my own and I'm still getting weird DMs like you have a flat chest like right. just trying to put me back in my place yes. of right. being ashamed of my body I'm fucking 29 years old dude I've been through the ringer I'm not gonna feel ashamed with a damn like not for a second of my life right he wants to put you he's like this woman is empowered and making jokes loves about herself. her silly outfit yeah. and having fun and yet what it turns out lo and behold she doesn't have <laughs> huge tits that like are required somehow mm-hmm. what I mean it's hard for me to understand as someone who like always wished I had smaller boobs and then also like as I I don't think I identify as bisexual that's not really a word that I connect with but someone who dates Mm -hmm. men and women Mm -hmm. like I'm always attracted to smaller boobs also and I just don't see the the appeal I never have and but that's not to say it's like what it doesn't matter what my opinion is that's the, the other thing I get if you're if you're gonna realize that what people think of you doesn't matter, mm-hmm. it also is like it doesn't matter what I think of other people either. Right? Because the bottom line I think of this talk is that it seems is no matter what size you are and shape and appearance, the patriarchy wants to control you. Yes, and 
the their way of controlling you is to tell you to neg you. So if you have big boobs, you're hot, but you're a slut. And if you have small boobs, well, good, you're not showing them off like a slut, but you need to like at least pad your bra because I was wearing a sports bra on the video, right? And like I like my flat chest, you know, yeah, but it is just like should. a form of control to like nag us, like make us feel bad. But only the men can lift us up. So we totally went off. But I want to before the break, I want to ask what your rock bottom looked like because it does vary so vastly for everyone. Your rock bottom in drinking and, um. You were mostly just a drinker, right? You weren't really a big drug person or anything. No, I wasn't. I was really into drinking and specifically mm-hmm. whiskey. Like Me too. I just loved whiskey. <laughs> we're whiskey and, writers up in this bitch. Yeah. And I I would drink other stuff, but like still in sobriety, I don't get sad about it. like occasionally I'll see someone drinking whiskey and I'll be you know, like, oh, I wish I could drink whiskey, but no other alcohol does that for me at all. If I like drink all the wine around me, like, I just don't care. But my rock bottom was realizing that alcohol was making me do really unsafe and stupid things that were bad for me and bad for other people. And like, like what? Like, well, Unless you don't specifically, want to say. Unless you don't want no, to say. specifically, it's all kind of abstract, and especially mm-hmm. since, um, like, a lot of it is not very memorable to me. Like, it's it's all a blur because of those nights of just um, drinking all night, and it wasn't one of those situations where I was constantly waking up and didn't know where I was, but mm-hmm. like that did happen, and I was terrified when it would happen. But because um, you were mostly an at-home drinker, right? You yeah. Wrote, you but no, I want to talk <laughs> no, about this yeah. because There's when so we many. when we talk about alcoholics and when the general public thinks of rock bottoms, and of course, I love having people on who have fantastical stories, um, like right. crazy shit. But it is still really a scary and lonely life to be an at-home alcoholic, like drink a bottle of wine a night, or maybe just you drink and drive sometimes home from the bar, which we all did as alcoholics. Nothing to be proud of whatsoever. Um, But that was what scared me sober. I mean, a lot of things scared me sober. I was insane. But it sounds like I think you had those kind of times where... I had a more subtle experience and it took me a bit to acknowledge that I was an alcoholic because I didn't look like... My rock bottom didn't look like the average... um, you know, losing everything and being... Yeah, and that's um, not an average, just for people listening. Right. For people listening, that's a stereotype. Stere- exa- yeah. And, yeah. and we people- do know people who lost everything, were homeless, or lost their husband, or whatever it is. But what I came to learn um, is that, you know, um, alcoholism is a drinking problem, and my drinking problem was escalating, but also it was my thinking problem Yes, combined with that that was hitting lower and lower rock bottoms with depression and anxiety that um, my psychiatrist was saying, you know, you should not be mixing alcohol with these medications. And no matter what, even without medications, Mm -hmm. alcohol is going to be a depressant. And I... And you're like taking them with antidepressants. Yeah, I wasn't giving my brain a chance even Mm. to be happy. And I took that information and I made a really strong effort to stop drinking alcohol 
And uh, night after night, I could not, you know, stay away from it. I would swear that I wouldn't. And then Mm -hmm. I would drink and one drink would turn into lots of drinks really fast. Mm -hmm. And then it was just about the bad decisions that came next and what is the scariest decision that I'm like most comfortable talking publicly about is like all the time I would end up drunk driving. Yeah. Even though I knew someone who accidentally killed someone that way. And I Mm -hmm. would say all day, Zara, you're never going to do that again. Me too. You could hurt someone. You could hurt yourself. Are you insane? Don't you remember all you've learned about blah, blah, blah. But once you have the drink in you, it's like we lose control of our rational thought brains. And, you know, some people can get intoxicated and call a Lyft and Uber, and they're good about that. I wasn't. I was not good about no, that. No, 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 no. I kept drinking and driving even though I didn't want to. I kept drinking even though I didn't want to. You know? Yes, I did. you didn't me, want to. what an addiction problem is, I don't want to do the thing. That could be eating, that could be drinking, that could be drugging, that could be cutting, shoplifting, shopping, any, anything, exercise. Anything, like, any of but those. But then you compulsively do it anyway. And that's what an addiction is. And it sounds like that's what you found, you know? Yeah. And then in when I stopped drinking alcohol, I realized how seriously addictive my personality was where I will get addicted to anything. And I heard a woman say... Um, who is a sober alcoholic, I I asked her if besides alcohol, she felt like she had an addictive personality in in other areas. (laughs) Ah, The most. And she said, yes. And to me, what that means is that I have a lot of feelings and I don't want to feel any of them. Yeah, and bottom fucking line. As a wow. result, she'll do anything mm-hmm. not to. And yeah. I like <laughs> I get addicted. That's why I will get addicted to anything that takes away the pain of my thoughts. Mm-hmm. And even if that's like I I knew as I was driving over here, I knew I was going to have to like confess this at least to you, but also like publicly. <laughs> Is it about sugar, Zara? It's like about the pack of red vines that yeah. I <laughs> always have to eat whenever I'm feeling like I got off the train. I was in uh, Union Station and I was just like, oh, this was stressful. And I, and I'm like, I know I would feel better. Red vines are my shit, first of all. Yeah. And also, like, I did text you this. And I'm going to get real frank here for a second. But I have given myself two yeast infections in the span of, like, a month and a half. <laughs> from sugar. Because of sugar. And it was so funny. I was just telling my friend about this. Like, I found out that I get yeast infections when I eat too much sugar. Because, like, a year ago, I had to get, like, a pap smear. And I had this, like, I have met Medi-Cal, which is the free insurance. So my guy knows this, like, ancient Armenian man. Like with glasses, he's he's hobbling on a cane. He's looking into my pussy as they've stretched it open with the thing to pap smear it. And I I just so happened I had a yeast infection at the time. Ding ding, lucky me. But he goes, "You have a yeast infection," and I'm like, "Uh, "Yeah." He's like, "Do you eat a lot of sugar?" And I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "Don't." (laughs) That was the conversation. Yeah, and it was like easier said than done. (laughs) I just never felt so seen as like this old Armenian man (laughs) in his glasses with his over his cave looking straight into my vagina and telling me not to eat so much sugar like I'd never felt so like seen before literally overseen that's oh as seen God. as you would ever want I'm to like, be but I was mostly embarrassed because he knew about my sugar addiction right you can tell you can t- that's horrifying actually I know okay on that amazing note we're gonna take a quick break cool yeah 
All righty, we're back on Casey's Freak Show at Meltdown Comics. Da, da, da. <laughs> <laughs> um, so check it out. It's at 7522 Sunset Boulevard in West Hollywood. And it's like this gorgeous, like emo rainy day today. And I'm just like, I'm feeling it out here. It feels good. West Hollywood's gorgeous today. Um, so I'm here with Zara Lisbon, who is a novelist. And you've got a three book deal. Is it um, young adult novels? Or, yes. Or what's the thing it's called? Young adult. It is a thriller series. It actually, as of now, it's only a two book deal. But I oh, have, yeah. I have the third in my, you know, <laughs> You're like, planned out. It's done. <laughs> no, and you just finished writing one of the, the novels, fir- yeah, right? Yeah, the first one. Um, and it will come out in January of 2019. Fuck yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, which is amazing. Holt McMillan, it's a real publisher. Like, that's my favorite part. <laughs> it feels so good. Yeah. Um, so why do you like writing for this, um, I don't want to say genre, audience? Well, audience. Yeah, young adult audience. Um, I never did and I never wanted to. And actually really? in grad school, there was sort of like a stigma, like, if you oh. write for YA, it's n- you're not a real writer. And, what? And people in grad inc- school. It, uh, I know people, including me, would be like offended if someone said something like, "I could see this for a YA audience," even if they didn't mean it as an insult. Um, but then, first, it was first my agent suggested it to me to try write. Like he's, you know, uh, bottom line is YA is what sells more than anything else oh um, well you gotta get that paper and up, girl. yeah so I was like I'm willing to try anything to get my name in a store I mean that's incredible I don't have so much pride that I'm gonna be like oh excuse me pride isn't even the word it's arrogance that totally. like no I can't I can't write YA and then just as soon as I started even just experimenting with it everything clicked into place where I realized ever since I was I mean, first of all, I've wanted to be a writer since I was eight years old. When I was 12 years old, I started having this idea, even though I was still 12. Like when I grow up, I would love to write books that could have an influence on girls this age. Me too. Well, not necessarily books for girls that age, but I always wanted to like be the older sister I never had to to younger girls because being a teen and a teen girl is just so awful sometimes. Oh, it's really the hardest thing. And I started realizing if I can use my writing to make a difference for that age group. Awesome. Not to mention it's the age when people will or won't become readers. That's sort of like people yeah. get into the like and isn't I it hate like, books. Like um uh, most most readers are women like 75% or something yeah. like crazy like that. Most. Yeah. And it's so funny, dude, cuz I was hanging out with a couple guys like a couple months ago and Eric was mentioning to our guy friends like I want to start reading more um and one of the dudes is like you got to do oh what did he say it was um you have to read nonfiction. You got to learn something. Oh my god! Is what oh my god! And it made me so. I interrupted them. I was like, "No, fiction's great. Like guys don't know jack shit. They like all the guys in LA that are quote unquote readers read these like dumb like True. how how to become a man books or like dumb shit like like fiction like they don't even value. They don't know how much value that has. And a lot of people don't. I mean, everyone's different, but I hear a lot like, "Oh." I can't read something that isn't true or something <laughs> like that. Oh, so you like... You want to talk about the truth? They okay. Don't, and, and what they don't realize is like fiction books will... The, what they do is like open your eyes to compassion for other people's lifestyles. Like, like books, are, like 
fiction novels have taught me more than most classes because you get to see the world from somebody else's perspective you know whoever the character in the book is or maybe from a different time period and it just like creates all this empathy and understanding for those around you that aren't fucking you right and there's a lot of potential there and I think a lot of people really do appreciate it and then there's you know I would like to have more of an appreciation for nonfiction but the way I see nonfiction is sort of like it's just so interesting like I I don't see that as like as an an opportunity to learn something about history, for example. I'm like, okay, great. That's good. I want to learn about history. But it's not exciting to me the way. I actually like fictional books set in historical settings. Well, that's that's actually the best historical. um, No, that's not historical nonfiction. That's well, I guess it's just historical fiction is what that would be called. I want to write a YA series that takes place on the Titanic. Oh my god, yes. And because I'm yes. obsessed with the Titanic. Yes. And yes. there's only, you know, I'm sure there were teenagers on that ship. Anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you like find that writing was your path and your your destiny? Like how'd you ch- choose it? When I was um actually it, I don't know if this is like even sometimes I don't even believe this, but it was Mary Kate and Ashley that I loved them. Is so I still love them. They're behind. They're actually, if I trace it back, they're the reason I wanted to become a writer. I was six or seven, and I was very inspired by them. This is the truth. I can't believe I'm like just admitting this. <laughs> no, like, I, I, I'm the same. But like, I, I wanted to be an actress because of them. I wanted to be a famous actress, a little <laughs> starlet, like with all the attention. And um, as soon as I started taking acting classes at seven, I think I was seven. I was way too shy. I couldn't handle um, the attention. And I kind of, I remember crying to my mom and saying, like, I can't act. Like, I don't want to do it. Um, But I was really frustrated. And um, she just said to me, you know, uh, someone has to write the stories that people, that actresses and actors are going to Mm -hmm. perform. And I just started, I was eight years old and I started writing little plays in a notebook. And I realized, like, that's what I wanted to do to tell those stories. And that's what seems so cool about being an actress. And if I didn't have the, you know, performance abilities or like stage presence, I was very, very shy. And I still am. Yeah. Um, but I you started got to still create the stories. Yes. And I realized that's what I love is the storytelling. And so I I was eight years old and I started saying that I was going to be a writer. And a lot of people at that age were just like, oh, cute. That's OK. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then. um when I was 16 and I was still really into it, my mom, who's been so supportive, actually both my parents have been so supportive of my creative um, endeavors, but sent me to this like little summer writing program in Massachusetts. And that's when I was 16 and I started making real friends who were also into writing and you know meeting professors who were sort of serving as mentors who I got to learn from. And so it was that year when I was 16 that I was like, as much as people are now telling me not to do this, I'm going to go to school for writing. Yeah, well, you knew it was your calling. And I feel like that with writing, too. I kind of like kept dodging it. I'm like, no, I'm going to be a stand up. No, I'm going to. I'm going to be a fashion designer in college. I went to college for fashion design. But it's like it just kept creeping up on me. Yeah. Like it was the thing that it was like, I'm just like, fine, I'll succumb to you. Like, cause right, because it was calling you back. Naturally, the thing that I'm good at, you know, 
what I love, and I was just talking to Charlie, or I, I talked to Charlie about this, even since I was a small child, especially into my teen years, like as I'd be writing for, you know, essays for school or little stories and stuff, the time when I feel God the most, like literally like even when I didn't believe in God um, was when I was writing and I yeah. get into the actual, you know, the initial first paragraphs out of the way or whatever and you start getting into mm-hmm. the zone of it um I could like like phrases and words that I didn't think like I'd ever even really heard before like yeah. references just pour out of me things like I don't like where did I get this like I don't even think I've ever picked this up in my lifetime like I actually feel God's presence through me because it's like so much bigger than me and then it, like my writing is amazing like I'm not gonna lie my writing can be really fucking yeah, amazing totally, totally and I'm like it's not me and it's never felt like me same a hundred percent really and, and from the beginning whenever someone would compliment my writing I would not know like I was just like this isn't me and it still doesn't feel <laughs> yeah. like me because now I'm an adult. I know I know stuff in life, but when I was 16 and I knew absolutely nothing, yeah, I'd be like, like where is this coming from? Words like who's like, this character who's like seen so much yes. more than I have seen? Yeah, and I always felt like I was channeling. I never thought I was. It never felt mm. like I was thinking up ideas and putting them onto the page, which I miss so much because I'm a little bit. No, that will sound ungrateful. I'm struggling a little bit with getting paid to write and that being my job because that makes me feel like it has to be good. And that makes my it puts the brain on. take over. Yeah. Versus like um, your soul or the yeah, channel. Just... Oh, same. Well, that's that's how I use like I, I used to use Twitter a lot for joke writing. And I would always notice when I'm like, oh, I have to meet a certain this was bef- like not recently, but before like I have to meet a certain quota of funny one liners for the day because I had garnered this audience online. And I'm like, I have to stay relevant. And like that's when they the would. jokes would become more corny and not so great. And it's like if the shit just pops through me like. It was always funny and amazing. Like, it wasn't me. And you know what's amazing, too? I heard an older gentleman who is a, who's a writer say this recently somewhere in L.A. I heard him say um, the same thing that he's like, yeah, that's when I feel God, like, like working through me. Like, I, it was so cool to hear someone say that out loud because I'd always felt that, like that. Um, How would you deal with, like, writer's block? I feel like for me that's, like, the toughest thing. Yeah, well, um, for a little bit there, whiskey was my biggest friend in the way of writing really? writer's block. I would just, I would just drink whiskey, and that's why I got really scared about what it would do to my writing if I stopped drinking alcohol. But of course, yeah, um, that was so scary for me too. I was very scared, but um, as it turns out, I mean, a career began for me in writing exactly. <laughs> as like soon after. as I stopped, um, stopped drinking, mm-hmm. and. In that really short amount of time, my career—I mean, it's just—it's very funny to think that I was afraid of of getting rid of it because it, me too. it's made everything possible for me that wasn't possible when I was just yeah. drinking whiskey all the time. And actually, I think my writing is better. But for writer's block, there's really—I like hate even thinking about writer's block. <laughs> it's such a scary thing. It is a scary thing. Um, the only thing. It's scary when you don't have a choice. Like, I have to meet deadlines, and I'm oh, like, God, yeah. you can't, writer's block isn't really an option <laughs> right now. But what I keep, what will happen is I have enough time before the deadline where I say, like, okay, if 
today and tomorrow your writer's block is still that bad. It's okay because you'll just you should you'll just write extra blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. But then I start overthinking and it's insane. And so the best solution I have for myself is to lie to myself and say I will really lie and I'll say you're just gonna write for a minute. Like you you're just you're writing. You're so a good at like putting pen to paper and just sitting the fuck down and doing it. Like even if because sometimes opening the document feels like the hardest. It is. Part. And that's kind of true for so many things in life. That's true for stand-up, too. Like, I'd be like, just show up. Like, people say that a lot. Like, just show up to the open mic. Just show up. And the rest takes care of itself. And it's just, like, the action of working through the block. And I know, I don't know, everyone and their moms read, what is it, the fucking artist way or whatever the fuck that is? Mm-hmm. Like, that book. <laughs> I haven't read it. I haven't read it But either. literally everyone will tell me about LA. It's like, it's the Los Angeles Bible for people listening who aren't in LA. Right. Um, the artist way. And everybody just says, like, it's all about, like, the whole book's just like, yeah, just do it. Like, just yeah. take the action to do it and the rest will follow suit. And if, and like, or like the corny cliche, like half the battle is showing up. It's true. It's true. It's, true. it's just making yourself get there. And I had some really good advice from a mentor in college who was saying, you know, a lot of writer's block comes from you're thinking like, oh, what I'm going to write right now isn't going to be good. I'm not in touch with that you know, I I know when I'm in the groove and I'm not in it right now. Yeah. But it's like he was like, how do you know when Whoa. your best work is going to come out? Maybe you wow. are not feeling it at all. But when you know, you just never know. So That's sometimes so I'm like, true. Sorry, I'm so glad you just said that. Cause like <laughs> so much of the time when I've written stuff like I'm like, this is crap. This is crap because it's not in that zone where it's like flow, flow, flow. I feel like I'm soaring high in the sky and God's writing through me. Sometimes it's like, I'm just forcing this. But then I do enough rounds of edits that later I read it. I'm like, that was pretty good. Right. (laughs) And also then it's your opinion. Sometimes you're looking at it and you're like, that was bad. But then you realize, oh, I'm just looking at it from I think I know what it should be and not what sort of like, I mean, some also, I mean, advice I've heard over and over again from people like you and um, other. I'm so lucky to know so many wise and emotionally intelligent women in just the past two years, honestly, but um, who have said things like, you know, you don't know what you're going to say that someone else needs to hear. And you can be judging yeah. yourself saying, oh, I said so something so dumb or blah, blah, blah. But you never know who's listening, who needed yeah. that. And that's what I when I have writer's block I try to step back of what I think I should be oh. saying and just because you don't know right. what you're putting out there that could help somebody or people could just connect with that's maybe a throwaway yeah. for you because yeah. maybe you've just thought the thought so many times that you consider it common knowledge yes absolutely so um rad all of this is I feel like I'm gleaning a lot from this talk oh, I'm like thank so you for bad. coming and tutoring me Zara <laughs> on my podcast no but for real amazing. um switching gears a bit yeah you gears. are a giant super fan of LDR Lana Del Rey super fan um how many of her shows have you been to this last year Zara it lasts 365 days in the last 365 days <laughs> um it's I'm not sure but it was at least five yeah, so I know I love LDR too, not as much as you. It's but... possibly ten total. In, oh my god! Yeah, this whole since she since 2012. Wow. Um, what <laughs> what draws you in so much about Lana? Well, oh my god, what doesn't? Oh my god. Um, so <laughs> this is yeah. You like I, love? Her. I love her so. Um, she's like what Amy Winehouse is to me, right? For you. Well. Oh my god, that must have been really hard for you. Oh, oh my god, god, Zara, I was when I found out she died. I was waitressing in Oregon at this like 
pick ass restaurant and this big ass family like sat down at a long table and I was like taking their orders on my notepad and one of the girls looked at her phone and looked up at me and told me or just announced to the group like oh Amy Winehouse just died and I excused myself from their from taking their order and I just went in the back and just cried like I was just like whoa but uh, okay yeah totally off track no but Um, of course I mean it's someone you love so much who's done so much for you um and She's so, I mean, she was such a talent. That's a whole other topic that we were just talking yeah, about with pain and emotion and substance. But Lana abuse. kind of has the same well, type so, of vibe to me. Yeah, so she does. And what's really interesting to me is that I loved her before I was sober and I loved her before I knew that she's sober. Mm-hmm. And before I knew that her entire drunk persona, bad girl persona, is from the past. And, yeah, I've read some really interesting things about her. And I was going to bring her up earlier, but I thought it was a little too early. Um, <laughs> you but, knew we'd get here. You knew, knew we'd get, get here. here. <laughs> but she said, you know, her really first one true love was alcohol. And Whoa, she was like, Lana, what's up? She was like, you know, I've had a lot of relationships, but like, like alcohol was that first love and abusive relationship and you know she's been sober for a long time I don't know her personally so I can't tell you the exact um but I love that she's open about it and what I I think is so like as such a super fan I get unreasonably protective of her and I'll be like I know her better than everyone else which is I think su- super fan, super fans get like that oh yeah we do and I think it's because of like how much like she's helped them. me in life and yeah. I'm like I you know but so at her concerts there's so many people who think that that is her current reality they're like wasted they're smoking pot they're like <laughs> they like but it's it's to me it's clearly ever since she became big was a persona and that's yeah. what I loved and I remember people tearing her down from day one because they're like I remember an old coworker friend of mine was like she just hated lingerie and I love I lingerie. I could kill anyone who no, has that opinion. No, she hated because she's like, <laughs> it's so fake. Her whole thing is put on and it's she's so She's an artist. It's, it, it's, like, it's a performance. It's like Cher. It's like Gaga. It's like Dolly Parton. It's like all of them where they took a, a part of themselves and made it a character kind of. And like to me, that's like beautiful. Why does everyone have to be... Who I they was are like, right are now. you guys out of your minds? It's called being an artist and a yeah, performer. Yeah, a performer. But here's also where the double standard comes in. First, we tell women they have to look a certain way. And then one of them has lip injections. And everyone's like, she's a fake bitch. We're <laughs> going to tear her down. Yeah. Um, and, you know, she's suddenly so fake because it's not even her real name. And she's putting on she has her, not even her, her real fake name na- her you know fake how many actors and use like blah, 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 moniker blah, 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 blah. names like actors use fake names like Every, as I mean, their actor like, name she's not even Lana Del Rey that's just a name that some studio guy came up with like actors do are the you same joking thing me I just I never could understand that she's such a poser no she came up with a persona and she's a serious artist and I think a genius so like it's not that I disagree with someone who doesn't like Lana Del Rey if they don't I if anything actually sometimes I prefer when someone's just like I've listened to her music and I don't like it I disagree and that's insane to me but I don't blame them what I hate is like people will say like I have a friend I won't name her but like she's like I (laughs) I like her music but she's so fake Fake. still to this day oh my god it's but like it's like Artists put on characters. Look at Prince. Look at Gaga. Look at so many artists. Like, it's a fucking character. Rock stars paint their face with, like, kiss, with makeup. Like, that's not 
who they are IRL. And I think that's amazing. Like that Lana, like I, as you know, I saw her on a hike. Like I was going to ask you, met her briefly on a hike. Please talk about it for a minute. Um, So it was just this past Christmas Eve. And that's after I started loving her when I was 22, being a huge fan at 22. And I'm 28 now. So and I've seen her a gajillion times. Um on stage and I was hiking with my mom and my sister and we were like coming to a really narrow pathway and there was a family coming towards us and we were like oh yikes there's no way we're going to be able to fit past them and we had my dog and we're like Ruby that's my dog's name we were like stay (laughs) stay close like she was going to try to go be overly friendly and we're like stay with us and we like walked past this family and I was like, I saw her sister before I saw her. And, and you can identify as a crazy her. super fan. I <laughs> actually that's not even that crazy. I've, I went to an event once where like fans were yelling her father's name and her brother's Whoa. name because they saw all of them. They were like, Rob and blah, blah, blah. I was like, well, Lana sort names? of has that demigod vibe where it's like the fans are cult they go nuts. fans. They're yeah. cult fans. Um, but so I know what her sister looks like. And so I saw her sister first and I was like, oh, my God. But then she was right behind her sister and they actually look very similar. Um, and I like grabbed onto my mom's arm <laughs> and my mom was like, what are you doing? Like I grabbed her probably like like my life depend. I was just like, oh, my God, mom. <laughs> and my mom became a really big fan over the summer when this newest album came out, which was like the most exciting thing for me that my mom cared at all. Mm. But I was just like. I didn't for like, I mean, I was stunned, basically. And like, I, we smiled at each other. I like pulled it together. I didn't want to (laughs) interrupt her Christmas Eve by saying something. She was wearing like a baseball cap and she was with her family on a hike. She was keeping it low key. If she wanted to be recognized that night, she would have gone somewhere else. Yeah. You know, and not had it. Like, so I knew she didn't want to be bugged, but she could, like, I smiled at her like, she knows, like, I know who she, I had a moment like that (sighs) with Justin Bieber at Running Canyon one time, like, where I just, and that was when he was kind of going through it, and I, like, have always loved him, and I kind of, him and his friends were doing, like, a funny, like, goofy selfie video. And I jumped in. Like, he was walking down the mountain. I was walking up. And I jumped into it. And I, like, I put my hand on his lower sweaty back, which I was so excited to do. <laughs> but it was, like, a very – I gave him, like, a reassuring touch. And then I just smiled and waved as they walked. And they were, like, yeah. And they all pointed and smiled right. at me. But he kind of looked at me confused for a second. And then he smiled. He's, like, yeah. And I was just, like – and that was after some shit had happened for him in the news. And I was just, like, I'm, you know, kind of, like, I'm here for you. And he felt that. Yeah, So it's totally. just, like, I didn't want to be a creep, but I was, like, in my head, I was, like, I'm a big fan of you. I love those moments, too. Like, I saw Lindsay Lohan at a restaurant during, like, one of her oh, roughest times. Yeah. And I was, like. She would be, like, I'm here for you. And I just did. I like I you. smiled at her, and I, like, sort of gave her, like, a casual wave. And yeah. She, like, like looked, a, she, like, looked at me you. and was, like, thanks. Obvi- I mean, she didn't say thanks, but that, like, a grateful, casual look of thanks. Because there's so much bullshit they have to deal with. Well, we're nearing the end of this. I want to get to the big question which is what does being free mean to you i was thinking a lot about this because <laughs> i cheated and i listened to charlie's episode but cheated so. too i know i heard that i was like ah okay like, <laughs> <laughs> oh well good you then you'll have an answer for me and i didn't know the answer at first and then i realized i've been struggling a lot lately with um letting other people's reality become my reality and thinking that if someone has a different opinion than I do immediately doubting myself or if someone tells me what I'm about to do isn't a good idea in for whatever reason I just agree immediately um not immediately but if it's someone I respect especially I get kind of thrown off in my idea of 
what is right or wrong for me gets altered. And I realize it's because I don't trust myself. And maybe in the past I had good reason not to trust myself. But it's kind of unrealistic to be like, oh, no, I might mess up dramatically at any moment. And I need to take anyone's advice who... Anyway, so freedom for me is going to mean my my goal is mm-hmm. um, to learn to trust myself and make decisions, you know, take advice here and, that, you know, not to like block out suggestive voices, but to know my truth. And that can be a flexible truth, but to know it and act based on it. It's like, yeah, we can kind of like doing the pick and choose from advice from others versus like I think you and I have a lot of people pleasing um, difficulties that have plagued us. And, you know, I'm definitely moving through and moving past, but I definitely would just be a sponge to whatever anyone around me said or advised like, you know. And it is. It's that's an awesome answer. Just learning to trust your own voice. Like you can, you know, pick boop 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 a little from everybody, but then coming up with like, oh, like just knowing like deep down in your heart that you know the answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but not in an egotistical right. not, it, that's way. That's the fine line. Is like I don't want to become obsessed with my thinking I'm right and everyone else is wrong. But ultimately, when it comes to me. I'm going to if I do the right kind of inward reflection, mm-hmm. I I will know what's best for me more than someone else will. And I think cool. we we get yeah. told a lot that that's not true. Like your parents know better than you do or so and so knows better. You're you're a kid, you don't know what's best yet. And so that's sort of ingrained in like not trusting um but um, we yeah. only have like that's it. very few minutes. That's it. Like literally like two minutes or yeah. three. But I like to talk. I mean, this is a very like women heavy podcast. Yeah. I like to talk about dating with everyone because everyone has different experiences and different things they bring to the table. And I know your boyfriend is like a lot older than you. 41. Yeah. Yeah. And you're in your tw- late 20s. 28, yeah. Um, and he recently moved, so you guys are doing long distance. Like, how's your relationship these days? Like, what do you do to make it work? Like, how do you feel about well, that? Well, yeah, it doesn't feel hard to make it work. We really have never had, we've never been a big conflict-driven couple. Um, things are kind of easy um, for the most part, I think, because we communicate when something's a problem and it just happens to not often be a problem. Um, also, I would say, like, I keep a lot in work. Like, I need to become a little bit better at expressing when something's on my mind. But with that being said, I mean, it's hard now. I'm actually a little at a loss to know what to do with, like, I can't go down to San Diego as much as I would want. And he is much more willing to come up to L.A., but also that's unrealistic. Like, it's a, it is a long drive. I thought it was going to be, like... You know, yeah, it's it right is. there. It's easy. The it train is. is so, you know, I love taking the train down there, but I can't do it every weekend. So suddenly I'm like, well, what's going to be the, am I going to, like, mm-hmm. what, how long is long distance? Am I going to see him once a month? I don't know. And so as, it's all kind of up in the air right it now. It feels up in the air. And as you know, I love his family also. And yeah. um, so it, it's getting hard to be away from them. But I'm, you know, I'll keep you posted. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I just like it's funny, like having all these different people on and talking about relationships. Um, usually, when I talk to comedians, they're like, "It's just like I don't. They, it never works. Like they're just like I don't have a boyfriend right. or girlfriend, but or, or just very short lived." But 
everyone has their different take and their different experience. And it's different. It's weird, like getting older and seeing like, wow, like I never thought I'd do long distance. I never thought I'd be with an older guy. Oh, like, yeah. You're just like, but things come up. I always you thought and- I'd be with an older guy. Oh, really? That was like yeah. <laughs> my th- like from the time I was 15. I remember really? being like, oh, yeah, I'm always going to have an older boyfriend. Whatever. I don't know where even I got that idea. But <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's just interesting at different perspectives. Yeah. Oh, totally. Um, I wish I could go more into that. Take it. We're That's like okay. re- reaching time. That's okay. But I'll just like have you on again. Yeah, time. I'll just be on here next week. Yeah. So <laughs> I know your book's coming out in 2019. Yeah, tw- January 2019. Um. What? Well, first of all, where can people follow like your Instagram or your Twitter, and then um, keep an eye out for your book. Yeah. So Instagram is at Z List Celeb, and that is Z underscore List underscore celeb I love your Instagram handle I've always loved it and Twitter is at Zara Lisbon Z-A-R-A-L-I-S-B-O-N and so yeah um, my book is Fake Plastic Girl it will be coming out in stores January 2019 so exciting Um, Holt McMillan is the the publisher Henry Holt Young Book uh, Books for Young Readers is the division of the company. So yeah, look out for it. It will be in, will be at like Barnes and Noble or what, if Barnes and Noble is still a thing. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely check out her Instagram for fire memes that she creates. Yeah, please check out my Instagram and um, don't take me too seriously. We didn't talk about my memes. I, I had like, yes. like 10 questions written about it. <laughs> I'm but we so just, sorry. I, I, no, no, we just had other things to talk about. Anyways, this has been Gacy's Freak Show. Such a good episode. Thank you for coming out, Zara. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. This Bye. is fun. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, only prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.